This is Abrupt Future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. Each week, we feature conversations with experts in leadership, management, human resources, culture, and technology to help you succeed in this new normal. This is your host, Benoit Ardivalli. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Abroad Future. This week, I'm very happy to have with me Steve DeGroot, who is president and co-founder of Brivia, as well as a leadership author. So first of all, Steve, thank you so much for joining us and welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Benoit. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Yeah, well, we want to go straight into the deep conversation today. Before the recording, we were talking about, well, you were talking about how the pandemic was more than a health crisis, and you qualify that as an existential crisis. Can you explain <laughs> yeah. what that means? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, you know, everyone's looking at the great resignation. I, I don't think you can you can throw a resume without hitting somebody who's talking about the great resignation. And, you know, a lot of people are attaching the, the pandemic and COVID to the great resignation. And there is a good detachment, but it's not really just a health crisis or, you know, I, I did mention in our earlier talk about it's an existential crisis. And what I mean by that is it it is really, it's shaken things up that we're actually, people are reevaluating things and we're, we're looking at our health and our morbidity and you know our fallibility the things that are, are important to us but also what we're vulnerable to so i think it really is another layer that we really need to consider if we're really going to understand the experience of the people that are struggling with this and when you look at all that turnover and and again that so-called resignation what are we missing why is it so high right now well, yeah, I, it is. It is a real. It is very real, and it's uh, it's something to be, I think, concerned about both on uh, both on the employee side, but on the organization side. And we're going to talk about the opportunities, I think. But more mm -hmm. than ever, I think you know people are reevaluating what's important to them in their lives, right? More importantly, they're they're doing this in every aspect of their life, as I'm saying, right? And because work is a really big part of their life, people are reconsidering, you know, what do they want from work? And if it's not aligned with what's important to them or what's we're going to talk about meaningful to them, well, then we're seeing them like they're starting to take action and they're not, they're not hesitating, you know? I, although I do say there, while there's a lot of people leaving, there's a lot left behind that are still considering this, right? It's called intent to leave. And while there's tens of millions of people leaving the workforce, they're not leaving the workforce, they're leaving their work. There are many, many more that are still at their jobs considering this, this same move or considering what's important to them. And do you have any hypothesis on these people who are staying in the job? They, they want to leave, you know, they don't necessarily do it. Have you seen, observe or learn about any, any patterns in their motivation or, or lack thereof? I don't know. Yeah, well, I think, you know, I think what's really important is to, to understand that the great resignation did not come out of nowhere, right? We were off balance uh, and struggling long before the pandemic. I think, you know, thanks to Gallup, they've done great work. We saw that, you know, disengagement was at an all-time high and getting worse every year. I don't know if a lot of people knew that even in 2013, the London School of Economics and the World Health Organization agreed <laughs> For the very first time that that you know depression and mental health issues, I think the World Health Organization said it was going to be the second cause of morbidity by 2020. And the London School of Economics was saying, look, if we're not if we don't keep an eye on this, this is going to be a major crippler or demobilization force in the workforce. Right. So, you know.
know, in, in, in 2019, the World Health Organization declared a, a burnout epidemic as a global epidemic. So when we go to look at people's experiences, I think it's been the same. We're just seeing that the pandemic was not only a catalyst, but it was an accelerant for people to kind of really take stock as to where they are. So, you know, some people are like, this is not working for me. It's not meaningful for me. It doesn't fit my life. It doesn't fit what I want for work. So they've left. There's another group that doesn't have that privilege, right? Not everybody can leave their job to find something else due to the responsibilities they have for their children, for their family, uh, also their employability. So what we're seeing is we're seeing a massive amount of people that are still at work, but they're not committed. They're not engaged. They're kind of one foot in, one foot out, right? So that's more the serious problem. And I have to say, we can we can pine on all the people that left and you know talk about the war on talent, but you've got uh, millions of people that are still there that need and want something very different for their work, right? And I think some others have just, they're on autopilot, Benoit. They're just, they've yeah. given up. Right. I call those people the working wounded. Right. And they're they're just they come to work and they just go through the motions. And so from an engagement and productivity perspective, it's it's less than acceptable. Yeah. And interestingly, I was looking at the difference between that that great resignation uh, between North America and Europe, where yeah. I live now. And, and one of the differentiators that the intent to leave was pretty much the same. The difference is that because of a maybe a stronger social system, at least compared with the United States, you yeah. would still hold people because there's still a lot of, of, of benefit while the market being a bit more difficult in the U.S., yeah. people were more willing to to jump ship, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think those are really interesting differences. I think you're absolutely right. I think social, like a social experiences as well as culture and i think the way people approach the work is different from the from europe to to the united states right and so I, th I think that's a really great thing to look at for sure i won't get into the existential aspect of that and why yes. that's so, but we can save that for another another conversation around how americans orient themselves to uh, to jump ship a lot faster than any other country <laughs> yeah, yeah. well I, I i guess it connect also with one of the the concept that's important for you your work uh, also and and Brivia, the, the company you co-founded, which is the, this concept of meaning. Yeah. Because yeah. We, we talk sometimes about it's important to find a job that has a meaning for you. But again, yeah. we say that very lightly. But when you look at the rich philosophical tradition uh, and even in the, the psychological science and sociology, yeah. you yeah. see a, a deeper understanding of meaning. So let's yeah. talk a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, we, you know, there is the, there's the hashtag deep meeting that Viktor Frankl talked about, Men's Search for Meaning. We actually just had a, uh, a meeting this weekend with people from that camp around, uh, and some of our people around the importance of meaning, but we don't even have to go that deep yet. Oh, well, we can start there. Like human beings, trust is important, belief is important, but meaning is important. But we don't have to go to the deep existential meaning. We can even just talk about meaning. And, and what like meaning is a satisfying or fulfilling experience with one or more aspects of our work. Some people find interactions with clients meaningful. Some people find having coffee and you know, meeting at lunch uh, or doing a Zoom call with uh, Benoit, you know, midway through our shift. Like there's so many different aspects. When people come together to relate, there's lots of opportunities to create meaningful experiences. So, so when we look at it, the, the simple level, and I say, you know, a lot of people aren't really connected to what's meaningful, you know, in terms of what aspect of the work do they get the most excited about? What aspect of their work do they do they find more most fulfilling? And it doesn't even have to be the work that we think is most important, but some part throughout the day that there's a part of it where they feel connected, where they feel clear, where they feel comfortable with it. And what's interesting we're finding is that before the pandemic, a lot of managers and leaders 
And when I said, well, you know, if I said, hey, to your manager, and, and this has nothing to do with how much they care, because I think this is really important. And I say, what part of the work does Benoit get really excited about, or does he like the most? Or what does he look forward to, you know, day to day? Most people guess. <laughs> they go, well, I think, you know, it's because he, and they would actually guess at it and they don't really know. So the dilemma right now is how can you create a meaningful experience for your employees if you don't know which aspect of the work they find the most meaningful? It's a, <laughs> I'm not sure if that made sense, but yeah, back yeah. me up or, or ask clarifying questions. But, you know, it's, it's really about bringing, because when people hear meaning, they think it's too big. They're like, oh man, meaning, create meaning. How can work be meaningful? Well, I'll tell you, even shoveling dirty hay in a, in a stable, right? If you know that that person likes working with someone else and you've got two people working, have them work together, have them have breaks together, right? So if there's aspects, it doesn't necessarily have to be the work. Right. Yeah. Do you know what I'm getting at? And and, and that yeah. that is a differentiator. You know, the guy likes peeling carrots, but he likes to have music on. Well, there you go. Right. <laughs> let let him have music in his office uh, while he peels carrots and he's gonna peel them longer. <laughs> yeah, there's a, there's an aspect I think in in meaning also and and that connects with you know a lot of uh, different research and and again philosophical tradition, but it's yeah. this idea of, of self-construction, right? It's mm -hmm. how you represent yourself in the world, but it's also the narrative, right? The story right. you tell. So you decided yeah. to work in shows or, or, or in uh, in TV, for example, because this cultural activity means something to you. Yeah, and it, it's beyond the salary, but it's also beyond it typical engagement because when we think about engagement is you know is the strategy uh interesting do i connect with the vision do i yeah. have development great we, we we all get that but yeah. i think you're highlighting this deeper and sometimes missing element right i i yeah. can't recall a lot of manager asking their employees what does that job means to you because it's yeah. a very different thing even though you have the same background and you do the same yeah. job Yeah, no, and it's, and that's a really good point, you know, and there's different aspects of it. Sometimes it's professional development. Like, so we're seeing that there's dimension that add to meaning. So for some, it's professional development. For some, it's recognition and appreciation. For some, it's a combination. So, so you know, it, it's actually things that we can create. And I say to one of the biggest things that I said through the pandemic, we work with a lot of health uh, hospitals and health organizations as well as corporate and business. And I said to the managers, you may not be able to change your employees, yeah, like, you know, their, their job or the, you know, what's happening to them, but you can, you can create a more meaningful experience through that. And that is a game changer, right? To be able to provide that experience for them, right? To the extent possible, of course. And on, on that uh, topic, I know that you will be uh, soon uh, presenting something about the different killers of morality. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I have a couple of ideas, but uh, I'd love to hear what you think are the, the top ones. Yeah, well, I've been working with people for a long time. And, you know, people say, well, killers of morale, that sounds so violent. I, well, you know, I think <laughs> I think we should look at killing morale as very violent because once morale is killed, uh, that's when depression and anxiety set in. And that's when listlessness sets in, right? But but I'll, I'll give you three of the biggest ones, which I think most people listening to this will be very happy to hear that the solutions don't require a line item in the budget. And so the very first one, and this is global, and we do some research called, we have this tool we call it, it's the M3, it measures meaning and stuff. And, but what we're seeing is what people are asking for. And the biggest one is, so the biggest killer, we're going to do it reverse order, is lack of recognition. 
right? Just simply put, it's about recognition being affirmed and validated for doing a really good job or being there. Recognition is also, you know, being recognized for positive work versus just hearing about when we're doing poorly, right? Like, please come to my office, right? Usually means something went wrong or we screwed up. So, so lack of recognition is the biggest killer of morale. And uh, what's cool about it is that's, that's fixable. That's saying thanks more often. That's checking in, saying, you know, we really appreciate you being on the team. And uh, thanks for putting a good effort in there. So, or I want to tell you that before I tell you that you, you know, you, you didn't really do well in that client call, I want to say that you don't always screw up, that you have a really good track record in these other areas. And that's what people are saying they need more than anything, right? So, well, lack Steve, of you're doing a great job in that podcast, I want to tell you. <laughs> thank you. Well, thank you very much. You know, that really felt good, uh, Benoit. Yeah, you got it. That's it. I know. And we yeah, do joke about it, right? Yeah. But it's amazing when I tell somebody, just thank your people more. They go, yeah. oh, come on, Steve. Right? That, it's got to be more than that. And I think that's one of the things about this existential crisis is I think we're starting to get close to giving up that things could actually be better. And that, you know, some of the most simple things have the most meaningful or largest impact, right? And that's where we're getting at. And the people say, think outside the box, think outside the box. And we, we've been saying lately, no, I think we need to get back in the box because yeah. there's some things there that we haven't c finished yet. <laughs> yeah, yeah, well said. Yeah. So the second one, uh, Benoit, is value incongruence. This is a big killer. Like value incongruence happens when, and it's often unintentional, it's a big one, is when we behave in a way that's incongruent or out of step with the core values. Or if we don't have core values on a wall, and don't, don't, don't get me into how important it is to, to get them there and to make them have meaning, but it's also when we behave in a way that's incongruent with what we say is important. So if I'm a manager and I say, relationship is important, trust is important, but you never hear from me. I never circle back. We have, you know, we don't have any one-on-ones. That's an incongruence. And at first it might be disconcerting, like, you know, a little bit weird and I can't put my finger on it. But after a while, value incongruence becomes disillusioning. And after a while, it becomes demoralizing. And because values are a very powerful force of meaning. So this is where that meaning comes in. If you and I, Benoit, value, say we value collaboration and creativity. Okay, so we'll just say it's two values and our, our company has them on the wall. And every time we go to a meeting, we're not asked our opinion and we're not asked to put any ideas forward, Right. That would literally kill us <laughs> after a while, right? It would zap us because we'd be in environments that are going against what's most meaningful. Now, the sad part is the person running the meeting doesn't even know this, right? Do you know what I'm getting at? They haven't been taught to identify this and, and correct it. So I'm not sure if that makes sense, but value yeah. and congruence is a big killer of morale. And I'm thinking that now with, I want to say, not just the, the newer employees, but generally speaking, there's a broader recognition that we want our organization to stand for. It could be social justice. It could be the environment. Oh, yeah. It could be something. So if now we start to have these expectations, it, it raised a bar for how oh, am yeah. I going to, to align with? Because we always talk about, you know, there, there's a big gap because, well, in my everyday work, uh, sorry, in my everyday life, I use technology and I expect my corporate technology to match it. It has to be seamless. But if yeah. we apply the same logic, I, we have a lot more things that we value in our daily life. And now yeah, yeah. our corporate life has to yeah. match that. Yeah. Well, and, and you know, one of the things I'd love to give practical tools, but one of the things I tell managers to do is just have a conversation and ask your people what values are important to you. You don't have to have them on the wall, but just in our day-to-day, -day, right? And if you told me collaboration and creativity, I would make sure, Benoit, that in every meeting that we had, I'd ask you if you have any ideas, do you have any input? 
you know, anything to put forward, anything like, just to fulfill that. I mean, like that's how small it might be. And you leave going, wow, that was a really good meeting with Steve, right? Because you had closer to a meaningful experience. Now, if I leave those out, how was your day been? Well, eh, it was all right. How was your meeting with Steve? Nah, you know, all right. You know, and the, and the final, I'm just going to give three. The final one is a big one. It's poor quality leadership, right? It's the biggest one though, right? So the reason why people now uh, are saying they just want better leadership and leadership, they just want it to be more meaningful or more helpful. And the reason why leadership has such a significant impact on people's level of engagement is because if you think of the first two I mentioned, recognition and value congruence, a lot of those flow through the leader. So leaders have the ability to thank people more and recognize them. They have the ability to say, hey, are we living our values? Are we checking our week to week, month to month, quarter to quarter? Are we behaving in a way that aligns with our values? So, so the leader, and you know, Gallup has been saying this for years, so other think tanks, has the biggest significant impact on engagement. And I think that's why, because almost most of our experiences flow through or facilitated by our direct supervisor or our direct manager. And do yeah. you have any perspective on, on that leadership being a bit more remote or distributed, right? It, it changed a little bit, although, you know, a conversation is a conversation, you but... Nailed it. Now well, you nailed it's... it. It's, you know, uh, we've been working with dispersed uh, workforces for years. Like I worked with a software company that, that 120 offices, right? Right. And, you know, communication is not necessarily connection. So they go, well, we've got to improve communication. So, you know, we're seeing through the pandemic that a meaningful connection and a relationship, is it important, not for everybody to be on the same site, to walk down to the water cooler and have coffee and have like, so again, it comes back to what's meaningful. But what's important is when we become dispersed, what we have to up is the connection. So we have to up connection quality, not necessarily connection frequency. That's different. You don't need, you know, so I'm getting at it, the communication and the connection are different. So what we're seeing is if I'm remote, like you're in, you're in, you're in Paris. Am I correct? Benoit? Not too far. Nice, but yeah, yes, in so, France. Okay. Oh, nice. Okay. Awesome. Awesome. Love it. Yeah. Okay. So you're in Nice and I'm in, I'm in, this week, I'm in Winnipeg, Manitoba, Canada. Right. So I feel this is a great conversation. I feel connected to you. Right. If, if we talk about what you need and what you value and what's important in wherever we are at, we create a meaningful relationship that works for us. Are you with me on that? Yep. And I think that's important. You know, you got these people like, I'm just, all of these surveys, right? Do you want to work remote? Do you want to work from home? Do you want to, and they're doing all these surveys. And I'm kind of chuckling because the only information that gives you is where is that person going to sit, <laughs> right? Yeah. It doesn't tell you what's important to them. It doesn't tell you, because this is it. Why would I want to work at home? Is it because I'm closer to my children or because I don't like being close to my manager? That would be a pretty significant piece of information to get from me as an employee. Right. That would be a good example of how do you construct that that vision of yourself, right? What's your yeah. what's your narrative? What does it mean to you to work from home or yeah. in an office or both or have the choice or do not yeah. have the choice, right? Yeah, and absolutely. Sometimes we miss that first person perspective. Oh, and 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 you you nailed it, right? It really requires a conversation. What's important to you? Right? What what do you need when you come to work? What do you value when you come to work? What are you hoping for? And what do you want to demonstrate as your strengths? Like that, if we know that as managers, their behavior starts to make sense. Their choices start to make sense. And we can do a better job of making their experience meaningful, again, to the extent possible, right? And beside the, the fact that people had to work from home, it was just a ton of change happening north south east west at the same time right <laughs> yeah so yeah what's i mean 
hopefully we'll never have another pandemic like that. But when you get these kinds of radical change thrown at you, yeah. what, what have you to, to share with leaders? Right? How can they stay meaningful, stay connected, right? And just communicating. How, how can we get better at managing change? Yeah, you're, it's a, it, these are great questions, by the way. And I think you, you nailed it. It's, you know, it's, it's staying connected to your people. There's a lot of myths around change, right? You know, uh, humans are phenomenal at change. Actually, our research shows that we're built for it. We don't fear it. We fear change, even though the pandemic, I think, in the beginning was a tsunami wrapped in a cyclone, <laughs> right? Like it was, it was just everything was changing. And humans, yeah. hu humans do really well through change, though. But change has to... It's interesting because when we change, it's important for us to be supported through it, for us to understand it. Why is it changing? How is it changing, right? We have to be involved and have a voice or a choice, right? And, and I think when the change holds meaning to us, which means we understand it and it connects to what's important to us, we actually do really, really well through change. So humans are changelings, <laughs> right? We're always changing. When we resist, this is the thing, we resist change that we don't understand. We resist change that doesn't feel good. We resist change um, when we when it doesn't have meaning for us, right? And I think this is important for managers to hear is that simply connecting with our team and saying, okay, I want you to be involved. This is what's happening. This is what we do know. This is what we don't know. What do you think of this? Uh, how, what is, you know, and, and just get them involved. People are amazing. People get, but see, I think what often happens is people are, Uh, thrown change management courses and check boxes mm, and yeah. and you know a communication Let's have a goes communication out. plan yeah right? and Let's you have know, a training plan right and I think <laughs> a, a big thing comes to mind is communication is not connection and I think managers need to know that right sending an email out yes it was a communication but it was not a meaningful connection right and I think that's an important differentiation so I think humans are great with change they don't fear it they they fear how it might be experienced and when it's supported when they're clear when they're connected and when they feel in control they do really well. They actually astound us, right? Because what if the thing that the brain really hates when you look at neuroscience, it's uncertainty, right? Change can be something that happened and somehow expected. But when we get into uncertainty, when we don't know what could happen, we don't know the magnitude of these difference, this is where the brain starts to, to say, whoa, something wrong could happen. Yeah, here. yeah, you're absolutely right. But you both identified the, uh, an important fact and the, the answer. So if we know that the brain doesn't like uncertainty, well, then there, our answer is to give as much certainty as possible, right? So saying things yeah. like you're on a need-to-know basis and you don't need to know, or that's how we do things around here, or that's above your pay grade, all of these create uncertainty, right? So I think what, what's important for managers to know is, you know, we are our brains. So the more we can, I, I say, if we keep the dot minimized, people are going to do better. But so often they don't have the information. They need three things. They need connection, which is strong relationships with trust. They need clarity, which is understanding what's coming next to the extent possible. What are the roles? What are the goals? All that stuff. And they need comfort, right? And I think mm. when managers can bring that to them, they give them what the brain needs. And that's really, really important because I call uncertainty, Benoit, the friendliest face of fear. Right. Because in low doses, yeah. it's no big deal. It's like, it's no big deal, just a little. But when you add up all the uncertainty in an environment we're already dysregulating or scared or anxious, wow, it can be the straw that breaks the camel's back. And I think that's what we're seeing with respect to a lot of people in the workplace. Right. Yeah. 
Because risk is, in a way, the the known unknown, right? Right, yeah. yeah. You know up to a certain degree, you know something could happen, but it's within a frame of mind. Uncertainty means you can't even frame it, right? You can, well, maybe we could say you can't even put meaning to it. Right, right. But this is the really cool thing about relationships with this connection and clarity. Because, Benoit, if you're my manager and I trust you, like, so strongly – you could tell me to jump and I won't even ask you a question. I'll jump knowing that we're mm-hmm. okay. Right. So think about going into, I call it when the lights go out, right. In a pandemic or in a, in a crisis or when there's lots of change, this is where trust becomes the anchor because we don't always have the answers. Right. So imagine if you have all the answers, but you don't trust me, Benoit. Yeah. <laughs> right. It doesn't matter. Tough. We got clarity. Yeah, absolutely. So, so we need both of those connection and clarity simultaneously. I don't know if you can see behind me, you mentioned I got all these equations on the wall and neuroscience <laughs> and stuff. And there's a, there's a statement up there that says with each degree of uncertainty becomes a degree of risk. Right. Yeah. So we have a lot of unnecessary risk that we create for humans in the workplace by not giving them either strong relationships, meaning, or uh, clarity around the things yeah. that we can provide clarity. Yeah. And yeah, we that's talk fascinating. To, yeah. And we, we talk about leaders. And something I've always been interested is when you you become a leader, right? Either yeah. by title or by responsibility or by gravitas in an organization, a lot of people at some point in their career have a step where you are less of an individual contributor, more yeah. of a leader. And I found that transition fascinating because at, yeah. at some time earlier in my career, people were coming to me with advice. Uh, and and I must say that my first response was, well, I don't know, you're right, you just do it. And then over time, you know, you develop <laughs> yeah. your own theory yeah. and, and models of what, what it is a leader and how you can become one beside just having the the title. And since you spent a lot of time working on, on leadership, so I'd, I'd love to pick your brain on that. What do we have to say to brand new leaders, maybe in specifically that age that we live in it's certainly yeah. a funny time to become a leader oh yeah and a lot of people I, I was at a meeting a little while ago where someone found out they were a supervisor in the meeting <laughs> that's how fast oh boy talk about <laughs> so, uncertainty yeah exactly you absolutely they knew something was off but they weren't really sure and then somebody said you're the manager oh, okay that makes perfect sense now but i think wow. you know i think one of the most overlooked qualities in leadership is willingness And I think that's really important. Do you really want to do this is the first question. Because a lot of people, you know, they're asked or they're they're promoted up fast without even given the opportunity to say, do you want to do this or not? So willingness is important. The The second most important thing, if they say, yes, I'm willing, I want to do this is that you must really care about humans. Mm. If you do not care about humans, I would say do not do this because humans need leaders that care. And this is what I've been saying. Leadership is not a hobby, (laughs) right? So if you're going to lead people, you must genuinely care about them, right? And I think those two qualities, willingness and compassion for humans, are the two most important. Because the competencies, my friend, we can train in those. Mm-hmm. We can we can we can train in those because if you think about most problems that are either performance or discipline or very few of them are actual competency issues, their values issues or their choices or their something else, right? So those are the first two things. And I would just say, get to know what's important to your people. And let's be honest, if there's a uh, executives listening, they're going, Steve, you know, they're there for the, the organization. Yeah, it's true. I say leaders' jobs are to connect direct and protect both the organization and their people simultaneously, right? And that's what they're trying to do. And that's the balance that Mm -hmm. they're meant to keep. It's a difficult one. And I always say, I always say, you know, leadership is easy on its own. 
uh, good leadership is hard, and great leadership is really, really, really difficult, right? Yeah. And what no we need is said, great nobody leadership. said it was easy. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, leadership just basically waking up and doing it. It's you can. There's lots of leaders out there on cruise control, right? But <laughs> but yeah. but when you say I want to be a great leader, right? And I think those are the three messages I say to new leaders and even seasoned leaders, even the ones that we're working with that you've you've read about, and we renegotiate what they want for themselves. I say three messages for your people. If you if you can make these messages genuine and align your behavior with them, everything's going to be okay. And the first message is, I care about you and I want your success. Okay. That's the first message. Second message is I want to provide you with great, with a great leadership experience. And third is I want to have a strong working relationship with you. Right. Mm. I haven't heard anybody say, Oh, I don't want that Steve. Right. <laughs> right? But no, when please. we can align, because when we align our behaviors with those messages, great things happen, right? Great things happen. And those are the pieces of advice I would say I would give to all leaders, especially the new ones, because the new ones are un, they're undamaged, right? They're, they're, they're fresh and they're, you know, and, and they're, they're out there and they're willing to do it. And I think we can get them without having too many bad habits created or being influenced by different ways of leading and get them to really focus on their people. I think they're going to do really, really well. Yeah. As leaders. And just out of curiosity, do you have any leaders that you find particularly inspiring at our contemporary or in history or even in fiction? I would say, uh, well, I mean, I, 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 there's some of the big ones. I'm, I'm struggling with identifying, you know, we often hear of Mother Teresa, Martin Luther King, Gandhi, Jesus Christ, you know, yeah. Yeah, all these different ones. But I think I've just been thinking that the ones that inspire me the most lately are the, are the frontline, the new ones, right? The new generation yeah. of leaders because they're open, And they're excited and they're values driven. And I say to organizations, I go, they go, oh, these millennials, you know, they're complaining. I go, look, what you got to need to know about millennials is they're values based. They want good things for the planet and for each other and for people, and they want it faster. So <laughs> yeah. those are two really good things if you can manage it, right? So I really like, you know, I'm inspired every day by leaders in health, especially during the pandemic, young leaders that ask themselves every day, how can I be better? They're not blaming. So I'm really inspired. And I think the reason why I mentioned I, those big four that we often, um, it's hard to be Martin Luther King. Yeah. It's hard to be like, so the, I love that we honor those great leaders, but what's interesting is it, it also makes it hard to feel like we can reach that. And I think we've got to bring it down and say to brand new leaders, you are capable of great things. You are capable of making people's lives awesome and contributing to organizations where they can perform and be successful beyond their greatest expectations. You are that leader. And I think, you know, when we work with leaders, I say my great, you know, what I want for everybody in the room is to be that leader that when somebody asks your employee five years from now and says, you know, who inspired you? They don't think of the big four. They think of Mary at this company that made mm -hmm. their lives better. They think about John who at, checked in on when they didn't come to a meeting and was always there, who believed in them, that they trusted, that they found it within themselves to be a better person. I mean, those are the stories and those are the leaders we should be celebrating. Yeah, for sure. And also, you know, otherwise we put the the benchmark uh, way too high. There can only be one Martin Luther King, you know? So yeah, yeah, all, uh, absolutely. Him, good luck. 
Yeah, absolutely. We can aspire to the qualities, but you know, I think I think one of the things we do this amazing exercise, Benoit. We, I can't wait to talk to you again because there's so many things I want to share with you, and you're such a great conversationalist, and you know, you you really know your stuff, by the way. Um, <laughs> you know, it's great. You ask great questions. Is getting people to write their own leadership story, right? There, we call it the page one, where they connect yeah. with, you know, what values are important. And they basically align their own story. Uh, every day to what they want as a leader. And that's your benchmark, right? Because mm. why would I compare myself down the road to this leader if he's only a six out of 10 or she over here is a, like if we use ourselves as our own benchmark, we can consistently get to better. Yeah. And just continue growing in a way that's, you know, preferred to us and the people we work with. And you mentioned the uh, the healthcare leaders and the healthcare industry. Yeah. And I know you work with, um, with this, uh, this group. Uh, it must have been a tough on out of the ordinary year for them how how can you manage how can they manage all of that pressure and change and risk and like how, how do you go through that because uh, they yeah. were on the front line literally yeah and they still are you know it's it, yeah. I, i think you know working with hospitals and health and we also work with addictions justice um, child welfare and education but health really you're absolutely right they you know they but again leadership is the same when it comes to people the difference with health is instead of it being clients getting a product and business your clients are patients right they're receiving supportive service or a set of services aimed at making their lives or their family's life better right so it's much more important to me in terms of where my heart is but the reality is it was difficult during the pandemic but benoit what we're talking about now with the hospitals that we worked with is that Everything that we've talked about was important before the pandemic. It has become essential mm. through the pandemic. So being connected, providing clarity, giving them a sense of control, getting to know what's important to them, staying in tune. The brain piece became huge because we've been teaching leaders how to regulate. Because, you know, if you've got a lot of uncertainty and anxiety, you dysregulate. You actually, a lot of the behaviors around irritability, fatigue, was actually people dysregulating. So we taught managers some of the stuff that we, we were talking about. What do you need to know about the brain to be able to connect, provide clarity, and give them a sense of control? Because if you can't regulate, you can't relate. Or no, sorry, if you can't regulate, you can't reason. And if you can't reason, you can't relate. <laughs> right? yeah. So performance would be affected considerably. Yeah. So healthcare has been really meaningful. And it's just, so if you were to show up in some of our sessions with business leaders and with health leaders, I would say, other than the examples we were using, you'd be going, wow, this is like the same curriculum. Right, they're talking yeah. about what's important and what's meaningful. Yeah. And my last uh, question for you, Steve: Where can we learn more about your work, your activities, your thoughts? Yeah. Well, I, I think I'm pretty easy to find. Uh, <laughs> uh, Brivia BriviaConsulting.com is probably the best place to find us or to find me. Uh, LinkedIn is a great place um, as well. You know, uh, to to check us out and and yeah, we're always willing to help. I mean, I love I love the topic. And I love humans, uh, you know, and I think more than ever, Benoit, we're trying to all lift together to make what's happening to humanity much better, both at work and, and at life, because they're inseparable now. They're yeah. inseparable. Yeah, they're inseparable. Well, we need so. great uh, leaders that are great human beings. In the we, need, we need great leaders and better leadership more than ever. And the good news is, here's the great news, it's not as hard as we think. And some of the most simple things have been left unchecked. If we get back to them, we can start making a real difference in the lives of people. Yeah. 
Well, Steve, thank you so much for this meaningful conversation. <laughs> and uh, let's hope we, we have more in the future. All right. Thank you, Benoit. Thanks, uh, thanks for this opportunity. And you uh, stay safe and be well. Thank you. This was about future, the podcast on the future of work that happened faster than we thought. I hope you learned something valuable. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and any feedback or rating is greatly appreciated. On LinkedIn and in real life, my name is Benoit Hardivelli and I thank you for your time.